0: Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Monday. Hello, and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you from your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. Our goal is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management. If you're a first time listener, we welcome you and we thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We can be found on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and now iHeartRadio. We do have a disclaimer that our podcasts are not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on my 19 years of experience in the coding and billing industry, and my goal is to share with you what I've learned and why I love this industry, and of course, my life as a coder. Today is Monday, March 15th, 2021. Our topic today is Recipe for Successful Profitable Clinics. There have been so many questions come our way on basic, everyday processes that many clinics struggle to iron out. When we get asked to audit or help set up a new practice, we always get asked, how can we start out successful and make sure that we have a smooth transition for our patients? Or we get asked, how could I have done that better? What went wrong? Well, my goal today is to help answer some of those questions by means of our recipe for success. So today we have two of my favorite ladies joining me to talk about these ingredients we have Terry Fletcher of Terry Fletcher Consulting based in California and Terry has over 30 years of experience in the industry with an extensive background in coding billing reimbursement auditing and you will also find she's a fellow podcaster of mine you can catch her podcast codecast Tuesdays wherever you get your podcast and i highly recommend checking out her podcast i myself learn a lot from her and i just love listening to her we also have Sanal Patel healthcare coder and compliance consultant at Nexen Pruitt, LLC. She's based out in the Chicago area over 10 years. She really understands the business of medicine and she can transform your coding and compliance practices to optimize revenue and alleviate risk. We also wanna give her a shout out for her podcast, Paint the Medical Picture, which shares valuable industry news, best practice tips, insights, and of course, inspiration. The ladies here today, I've invited because they inspire me. It's all about our series here, our interview series on inspiration. Who inspires you? So we have our special guest today, Terry Fletcher of Terry Fletcher Consulting and Sanal Patel. And we're so excited again to have you with us. And we want to talk about this recipe for successful and profitable clinics. One of the things that I have noticed myself uh In the years I've been in the industry, I started as a receptionist and I've done many different fields of auditing, of course, coding and different areas. But I was also that registration tech. I understand the the pressure that they feel to get everything right. But of course, it is one of the most important steps. So one of the things I want to add to this recipe is from the front end of things, that front desk, uh, to really uh, understand the importance of verifying the insurance coverage. Uh, determining whether uh, they're covered for a procedure. We don't want angry patients uh, not having the correct understanding of of what they're going to be able to uh, have uh, and explain to them what they're going to be charged for, co-pays, deductible, co-insurance, all of those things that we run into. Now uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something that new clinics run into And I want to kind of shoot this off to Terry. So Terry, I want to ask you this question. Some of the things that we notice with new clinics is they misunderstand when they can bill when there's a credential versus a non-credential physician. How would you explain that?
1: Well, and good morning, listeners. Uh, Thanks for having us today. We appreciate uh, everybody who uh, listens into the podcast. So what we try to do is explain to practices that you have to get a head start because what happens is that there's no such thing as incident to a physician by a physician. So if a physician is practicing without being credentialed with certain payers, and just for the listeners, just so you know what that means, that means basically registered and signed up with that particular payer of having all of your information where they can research and make sure that you're not a physician who you know, took payments illegally before or that you have any kind of blip on your, you know, in in your system or in their system from another uh, Medicare payer or private payer. And so they research out to make sure that you're a compliant physician and that they want you on their list. So you have to make sure that you do this prior to seeing patients. Otherwise, you'll be seeing patients for free because you can't bill it out under another physician. And this has been a problem with uh, compliance and many practices that have tried to do that. Have gotten paid under another physician and then have had to refund a lot of money.
0: I totally agree with that, and have run into that with clinics and had to explain that myself. And then we have the added uh, aspect of the financial aspect of things when it comes to not getting those financial agreements in place. Because when you run into these non-credentialed, uh, maybe they're not credentialed with the phys- with that insurance, and then we run into the writing things off. What do we need to be aware of when it comes to financial agreements?
1: Well, I think one of the things, and I talk about this also on on my podcast too, and I know Sonel's probably mentioned it on hers, is that you have to when it talks about revenue cycle management or we're talking about registering the patient and actually overall health of our patients, it actually starts with the first contact they have with the administrative staff and whether that's registering online or coming in from the front desk perspective. When we talk about the overall health of our patients, it also includes their financial health because there's nothing worse than having a patient who's coming to a physician, especially a specialist, that they need, and let's just throw out cancer patients there, And then all of a sudden they're stressed out about what's my out of pocket, what's my share of cost, et cetera, without actually knowing. So what's important, especially in the time of COVID now with which, you know, which part is the patient have a share of cost, which is actually absorbed by the payer now because it's COVID related. And there's some nuances there. Not everybody is clear on You need to make sure that when the patient is coming in and you're registering them, that you have a credit card on file, that they understand that any balances will be balanced billed to that credit card, that there, or you have some kind of an ACH uh, method, which means that you can go and and debit their um, checking account or something to that effect. It's no more, you shouldn't be relying just on paper statements anymore. That is so expensive for staff and it takes forever and patients need to have portals and areas on how they can, and understanding of how they can pay their share of cost and their out-of-pocket. And I just think it's important to have those agreements in place from the get-go instead of letting them figure it out later.
0: I totally agree. And when it comes to more financial uh, revenue aspects, we wanted to ask you a little bit about how you recommend clinics manage their AR reports, depending on what kind of facility they are. And of course, um, as a revenue cycle manager, if that's your role, what do we wanna focus on when it comes to those 30, 60, 90, 120 day reports?
1: Well, that's tough to make it a short answer. (laughs) We could have have an all day uh, discussion about revenue cycle management, but just to give you just kind of a quick manager, I guess um, insight into that, and I will ask also Sunel to follow up if she has some additional uh, insight on this. What I like to explain to my clients and my client base and all the billing practices that that I'm involved with out there is... I like to have experts in the payer. So I like to have people who are in charge of Medicare and that's the AR they work. And people are in charge of Medi-Cal or Medicaid. So you can tell them in California because that's Medi-Cal, but the Medicaid uh, payer, you know, so that they, if a practice uh, manager or a provider comes to you and says, Hey, I want to get a stress test done. Is this covered? You're not dealing with a lot of practices like to do the alphabet, which is, in my opinion, a bad idea because then you're basically um, shooting, kind of hitting or miss what patient has, you know, what their payer is. And then you have to look it up. Then you have to find it. You have to see the nuance of that payer. But if you deal with that payer on a regular basis all the time, you get the updates and you're doing your due diligence as a staff member then you're an expert, if you will, in that in that payer and Medicare is huge. But then I'd want my Blue Cross Blue Shield experts, I'd want my, you know, uh, various commercial plans, And you can kind of lump in your smaller, you know, plans with that, like your Aetna's United Health et etc. But you would want to have experts and they need to work their accounts and have a desk calendar that says, you know, this is the day that I'm going to be calling payers. This is the day that I'm going to be working my patient accounts. This is the day that I'm going to be um, just responding to mail from that payer. And they need to focus on that. A lot of times everybody just comes in and attacks their desk and that you never get to the bottom, never. So it's important to stick to your calendar Even though you're out of the peripheral vision, you can see that one letter you want to get to. If it's not the day for that letter, then you need to make sure that you are sticking to your calendar. It's the only way to be efficient and and work your accounts appropriately. And so now I would ask that you, you know, maybe follow up with something that you give your client information on that.
2: Well, Terry, um, I completely agree with what you've stated. Um, I've told a number of practices as of recently Um, that you should definitely be spotlighting certain personnel. You know who they are. They're the ones who really enjoy research for the Medicare policies, for the Medicaid policies. You have people on staff who appreciate what any of the blues are doing and updating quarterly. So I do agree with that. That helps your RCM process um, monthly, quarterly each year. However, it works for each payer. I definitely agree. Um, that it is something that is going to be well received for the practice finances. If you do um, allow some of your staff who are very good at identifying policies to go ahead and highlight those people who can then actually disseminate that information uh, throughout the rest of the organization, um, for example, on whichever new bariatric policy is happening with Texas Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, or with Aetna, et cetera. So I completely agree with that. And you have to just maintain your due diligence and don't let things um, fester and sit unattended month after month. Yeah, I agree. And also,
1: the other thing I'd like to follow up with Jennifer before you move on to a next topic is that I noticed that a lot of practices only include their administrative staff and maybe a provider in their contracting, um, certain you know uh, conversations. And it's important that you pull in a biller, pull in a coder, because they understand the language. They understand the difference between pre-existing and non-pre-existing, you know, a uh, bundling issues. Um, can, you know, uh, payer issues, how long does it take to get a claim paid? And so it's just so important if they know that from the get go, that'll be such a, a huge win for the practice. If somebody comes to them and says, Hey, you know, your AR is looking at 60 to 90 days for Blue Cross Blue Shield. Why is that? I say, well, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan pays us within 45 days, but Blue Cross Blue Shield of San Diego pays us within 60 days. So again, knowing, knowing those payers and, Having them as part of the process is really helpful from the back end.
0: Thank you, ladies. I totally agree. And actually, I, I also wanted to bring in this topic that I, I'm, of course, really passionate about is training. I, as a revenue cycle manager, my company, we have a client, we have an office that we're setting up right now, and we actually have a training today at three o'clock with our staff. And I'm a firm believer in giving my staff the tools they need to succeed. So I have a coder, I've got two billers, I've got somebody within collections. And so I bring them in and I I give them my, you know, tips on on how to succeed, but I also give them tasks. Again, I also believe in giving them, I set up spreadsheets. This is your Blue Cross spreadsheet. This is the claims we have to focus on. This is your United Healthcare spreadsheet. And I assign those to a certain person and and it really flows nicely. We can all see at the same time, these Google sheets, we can see the the information updating who's working what and what's getting done, what's getting paid, the date it paid. And it's, it's so nice to have that. So training is so important. I am a firm believer in training. But again, uh, one thing we are seeing when it comes to these these financial aspects, we know how important coding is. We have billers and we have coders. Sometimes the coders are the billers and vice versa. Uh, But one thing we see a lot of practices, maybe it's more, not so much now, but in the past, we're kind of hesitant to hire an official certified coder because maybe the cost or they weren't sure or to find a qualified candidate. But what are some of the things that can happen if we don't have these qualified, educated coders looking at the documentation in practices? I'll ask you, uh, Terry.
1: Well, actually, I ran into this in a practice that is a big client of mine recently. Uh, We've got over 100 physicians. It's this multi-specialty group. And. And they basically um, decided to go the inexpensive route and hire um, professionals that, you know, wanted to learn to code. And we all appreciate that. And not everybody has to be certified. You've got people out there that are, you know, 20 years into it and they do have uh, insight into coding. So I want to put that out there. I'm not saying that everybody has to be certified. Um, but when you have a lot of new coders and when you have someone that, um, is Certified in your specialty, that can go a long way because remember, they've had to research, take a test, and they've also had to be in that specialty at least two to three years before they can actually get that credential. And so, that you know, that at least they have insight and understanding from an anatomical perspective, from a language, from you know, terminology. And so, understanding what you are billing and coding out. But the, the client that I had, they basically, again, they, they went with the the non-certified personnel and I was doing an audit for them. And I noticed that they build on general surgery side, they build a bunch of incarcerated hernias when actually they weren't, they were basically just routine inguinal hernias because the staff didn't understand the terminology. We had heart caths being billed incorrectly on the cardiology side, when actually a few, several of them were just swan gan catheters where they were basically um catheters that were being put into to measure patient's hemodynamics um they were missing codes you know on the, again on the cardiology side missing branches missing missing interventions um i had another one where And you mentioned training. Hopefully, Jennifer, you're talking a little slower when you train. (laughs) I know you talk fast. People say I talk fast. I was like, wow, this gal talks super fast. But (laughs) we love you. We know how much knowledge you have. But um, the one of the things with really trying to get somebody to understand is not only training, but also if you can get somebody that has that background and that certification, it just goes a long way. In um in in the practice because they're also accountable. Remember, these people have to be. We all all three of us are are certified several times over, and we have to get CEUs, which means we have to continue in our education. It's not just you get certified and poof, you're a coder. That's not what it is. You're certified. I've been certified with APC since '92, and with AHIMA since '90. And so basically, you. You, you continue to get educated, you continue to be updated. And you're you want to they have that knowledge. And sometimes the non certified personnel, not to take anything away from their insight and experience, but it's not, they're not trying to get CEUs, they're not trying to maintain their credential. So there may not be that motivation there. That's all I would say on that.
0: Well, Terry, I, that's quite all right. I, You aren't the first person to tell me how fast I talk. It's, it's funny.
2: Because <laughs> I, was I grew just up in California,
0: <laughs> not far from where you're at, actually. You know this. And uh, so my family's always, even when I was a child, they always commented how fast I talk. And so there's times where I remind myself to slow down. Other times I get excited, right? And I was like, just want to get the information out. So no problem at all. I understand. We love you too. And uh, back to Sonal, I wanted to talk maybe at, on this coding topic, we know how important documentation is. So when it comes to the billing department, the coding department, maybe having to look at the same documentation that each other is looking at, there can be miscommunications um, from the provider's side, the, the back office, we call it, the clinical staff versus the billing staff. What are some ways that we can bridge the gap between that
2: miscommunication? That's a great question. So yeah, I mean, I see that all the time. Um, When it comes to reading that documentation, like you both were just talking about before, um, it's really important that we have um, coders who are experienced, who understand how to read documentation, um, how that documentation needs to support the actual codes that they're trying to abstract, right? Um, So if there's ever concern, confusion, questions that a coder has before they can actually correctly abstract codes, I, I always recommend communication is key um so you know in our industry we know that we call that a coding query it's basically a question we try and do that as less as possible because our physicians are busy busy people um but it's very very important that we don't just let it go and pick inaccurate um and not complete coding accurately right um we It's very, very important that we go back to our doctors and ask them, you know, to the highest level of specificity, what diagnosis do they actually mean? Now, we can't lead them a certain way or another, um, but we need to be able to go back to them and try and have them, um, you know, tell us with accuracy and honesty, uh, you know, how that particular diagnosis code, that ICD-10 code may perhaps be extended to capture a more full and accurate diagnosis code for us to be able to then capture and place on the um, CMS form. Yeah,
0: Excellent advice. And another question for you as well on the revenue side. I know my last podcast, I was talking about documentation signing and how important signature is, uh, especially when we, I was doing risk adjustment education and, and I teach that we, we talk about that quite at length, but it comes down to the end of the month and you're trying to get the charges out for end of month. I just went through it myself here at our local hospital and you find these notes and you can't bill them out because they're not signed. So that course leads to delayed filing of claims and that can lead to timely filing. So what are the ramifications? What do the clinics need to know how important it is to get those out timely?
2: Well, that's another outstanding question. And this really goes to Uh, you know, how a practice is reflecting their compliance, I think it's really important and integral that they have some sort of an internal policy that is written, um, and the staff are well aware of what their internal policies and procedures are for signature requirements. Again, um, I always recommend to my providers, uh, basically, any type that they are, you should be signing off on your documentation within 72 hours, within 72 hours, right? Um, if you're not doing so, you open yourself up to a greater can of worms. I work on the back end, right? When practices are being audited. So uh, it's a tremendous um, detriment to them if, you know, I'm asking for documentation to support the claims that they've billed, and I'm trying to send it out to a payer, um, but I'm already red flagging it. I see that there's no signature on that office note. There's no signature on that order, Um, you know? So then I have to go ahead and do my end of the work and show them that these need to be signed beforehand, right? So then I'm trying to um, implement some sort of a corrective action plan for them, again, to start developing a internal policy. Um, so for these new practices like we're talking about today, um, it's best to be proactive and do all of this type of policy implementation work from the very beginning, so you're not caught up in this nightmare uh, two, three, four, five years down the road later.
1: I also wanted to comment, if that's okay, on, on what Sonal was saying. One of the things that came up this year with ENM 2021 is remember if you sign your notes the day after and you're timing your visit, you can't use any of that time <laughs> towards your e service. So you have to authenticate your record meaning sign it out and close it the same date as the face-to-face. Mm-hmm. If it's done on a different date, and I'm saying this from an auditing perspective, then all that time is gone and now you're you're on medical decision-making. So just be aware that it's going to have ramifications for those practices that are timing their office and other outpatient visits as well.
0: Excellent point, Terry. Thank you for bringing that up. And so now you mentioned the auditing and uh, as an auditor myself, recently certified as a CPMA, and I'm just really excited I get to use that finally as a credential, but I've been auditing for quite some time. And, and when these new providers, I don't want to scare them and worry them about getting audited. We have these, of course, internal audits that we do, and maybe a payer audit, uh, but from your perspective, I'll ask both of you individually, so now, um, what are some of the things we want to just kind of reassure our clinics, uh, what they can do to stand behind their notes in case they get audited, to feel more reassured that it's correct?
2: I mean, well, that's my biggest mantra for 2021, right? It's all about self-auditing. It's all about, you know, as a CPMA, I think it's all about the tone that we speak to our providers in. You know, we don't want to scare them off, absolutely. Um, But they need to be aware and understand what they're doing what their data is showing right so to actually review that information that data that they do possess um, i think it's completely beneficial so they're not surprised you know down the road a year or two later when the big payers come back um, and want to audit them from the payer side i think it's extremely beneficial to have an auditor um, you know that plays on your team that is there to support the work that you do, to provide the education and things like that, that as the three of us are well aware of, it changes all the time. Education every quarter this year was a big one, right? January 1st, huge changes. Um, So I think it's critical that they're not afraid, that they understand that for them to actually look at what they're doing beforehand um, is going to um, just really support their levels of reimbursement in the long run.
1: I totally agree. And to add to that, I, I agree 100% with Sanel on that. Um, first of all, um, Jennifer, what is the CPMA? For those that don't know, what does that stand for?
0: I apologize for not spelling that out. That's a certified professional medical auditor.
1: There you go. See? So for those of you that are interested in auditing and want to get your feet wet, that would be something. That is a hard exam, by the way. Very much. Um, One of the things that, and just to play on in tandem on what Sonal said, one of the things I ask my clients, because I have a membership service where they can add, ask uh, coding questions and billing questions through email. And I get these questions all the time. I'm sure you guys do too. That just says, can I do this? Or, you know, Mm -hmm. and they give me the documentation blurb. And I'll say yes or no. But if I say no, I said no, because this doesn't support this. And then they ask the same question, but a different way, thinking they're going to break me. And so <laughs> I'm like, it's not happening. And so then they ask it again a third time. I'm like, look, here's what I have to ask you. First of all, part of my service to you is that if you're a member, I help you appeal a claim. The first thing I would ask is, and when I look at this based on your question, if I was to appeal this, can I support it? And if you're for one of the big questions that comes out right now is telehealth. So you build for a phone call, but there was no time documented. And so they they build for an audio only phone call. And I said, well, where's the time? And they said, well, we didn't get the time put in there, but it's obvious that there was, you know, approximately. I said, no, there's no obvious. There's no assumptive coding. You can't read into anything. If there's no time documented, that was very nice of you, but that was very free. And they basically say, you're kidding. I said, no, you can't support something that doesn't fulfill the requirements of the category one CPT code or HIXPIX code or whatever you're submitting. If I can't appeal it and feel like I can support the appeal, then I would not submit it. And that's what I always try to get billers and coders to ask themselves. Can you support it if you're questioned and had to appeal it? And if the answer is no, then you probably shouldn't submit it.
0: I completely agree one of the things I tell my students when I'm showing them how to read op reports and how to look at things is I tell them if you were going to submit this if someone asked you questions about it could you explain why you build it this way if you added a modifier 59 if you added the modifier 25 could you stand behind that and be really confident if someone came after you and <laughs> said this was building correctly could you explain why you did so with the documentation of course So that's very, very important. Well, we've had so much fun today, ladies, but I have a few more questions, just so our listeners can learn a little bit more about you. So uh, our first question for, for Terry, what is something about you that most people familiar with you wouldn't know?
1: Um well they they may or may not know this. Everybody knows I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steeler fan, especially if you've listened to my podcast, my codecast. um but one of the things I write for an extension of the NFL site called the Steel City Underground, and I write articles and podcasts on football. So if you do know me personally, you'd probably would know that, but if you didn't know me just from an industry perspective, then you wouldn't know that my tie into the NFL I guess.
0: That's super exciting. my my fantasy football husband will will be happy to hear that. Uh, and uh, so now, let me ask you that. What's something about you that most people that are familiar with you wouldn't know? Uh,
2: well, I don't really share this very often, but you know i I had a whole separate you know plan in my life uh, completely different than what I do currently, um, which I love. Um, I used to be an art historian, so I used to work in the museum world, right? Completely different than science, anatomy, surgery, all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I come from a different world, so I'm all about supporting um, newbies who are also experiencing a career shift or things like that, or you know how they can try and grow in this, you know, uh, field. Um, which really isn't going anywhere. I really don't think the business of medicine side is going anywhere because we have plenty of physicians, plenty of good things, um, new things that are always happening in the world of healthcare. So there's always a place um, for people to perform coding and billing and auditing and compliance type of services. But that's me and my past was art. So different Let me
0: ask you this, uh, since you mentioned that career path, what advice would you give to somebody who is pursuing uh, medical coding, billing, anything in the health information management side?
2: Oh, well, you know, if you were like me back in the days, I'm going to age myself, but this was like years ago, you know, before people knew how to craft a resume, you know, like my resume did not read like a science resume. I came from the humanities, I came from the liberal arts, and I just thought, why aren't I, you know, getting in the door? Why isn't this beautiful resume opening doors for me? Well, it's because it was the wrong resume, right? So you really have to be humble, um, you know, cast your high, high hopes to the side for a bit, um, and just try and get your foot in the door. however you possibly can. You may not be a coder that you've studied for, that you got your certificate for, that you're very proud of. You might not start your, your new career as a coder in the beginning, um, but if you keep working hard um, and stay committed, um, you definitely can do it. You definitely can do it.
0: Let me ask you the same question, Uh, Terry. uh What w- advice would you give to somebody uh, thinking about a career
1: in this area. Well, I actually was going to say the exact same thing Sonel did that. I think we get, um, I know we get a lot of direct messages from people saying, I just passed my test and I want to be a coder, you know, right away. And I think the advice I give is, you know what, find if they have a position in medical records, see if they have something at the front desk, see, even if they need, Somebody in the back office, not everybody's a certified medical assistant, but they do like to hire certain people that are interested in the medical field, but look at the positions now create a new position for yourself telehealth facilitator, you know, tell you know somebody who's all in on telehealth and understands the platform. Um, somebody who is the uh, pandemic facilitator for the office. If this should ever happen again, I mean, we we had to pivot pretty quickly last year. So you know, try to break in, as Sonel said. Uh, One of the things I guess nobody knows about me is I was an RN. I actually still keep it up. I'm an RN, but I can't stand the sight of blood. And you can't be a nurse if you don't like blood. So I'm just putting it out there. And so um, I have a a double um, degree, mine's in economics. And then when I was working for a a provider part-time, um, I, you know, I was all into the money and the numbers and everything. He's like, you know, there's this thing and this is back, I'm dating myself back in the eighties. He's like, um, we have to start submitting claims like this. And this is when we used to type our claims. Oh my gosh. Yes. And we didn't have computers and uh, they were five digit codes, totally different than what you guys are looking at now. And, uh, but di- I mean, we have five digit codes now, but they're totally different. But anyway, I just really got interested in that and uh, get your foot in the door you know, just to see where you can lead and you can grow into different positions. But there's also social media managers and practices. I've placed two people in doing that, you know, if you've got an IT background, but you're really interested in healthcare, do you know how many practices don't realize that there's been a Facebook uh, created for them they didn't know about, or they've got really bad reviews on Yelp or Travel Advisor, and you need to respond to those, you need to clean it up, you need to have somebody that's, On top of it, a lot of people are, you know, they go to Dr. Google to find their provider nowadays, and you need to know what people are saying about you. So there's a way to break in definitely nowadays that we didn't have before.
0: Excellent information. Actually, we had a provider I worked for a few years ago, and they had a marketing social media manager that did the exact same thing. They'd read the reviews and they would, they would, of course, try to answer them and and create uh, that network for them and create the, a positive social media platform for themselves. And that's definitely a definite good role to have. Well, I thank you ladies so much. One last question. How can our listeners connect with you online, Terry?
1: So I am on many platforms. You probably see me on Instagram and Terry NCA I'm on LinkedIn Terry Fletcher, just find me. I'm I'm on there. And also I have my own uh, CodeCast podcast. And so um, feel free. That's again, been out about three years and I've got a just recorded today. I have 178 episodes. So uh, just coding, billing, reimbursement. There's a space for all of us in that realm. So thank you for, again, for having me too.
0: We're so grateful you got to join. So now how can our listeners connect with you online?
2: Uh, I also have a very small podcast that just started a couple of months ago, Paint the Medical Picture podcast. Um, You can always find me on my LinkedIn. um, And you can always go ahead and email me at my um, address through Nexon Pruitt. So that's how you can find me. And thank you so much for having me here today. This was such a nice, nice conversation with industry pros. I loved it. Thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate you being willing to come on. I, I love doing these interviews. It helps me connect with my peers and those that inspire me. And my interview series is about, is about inspiring other coders. And so that's what I want to do. And so I thank you for joining me. And we really learned a lot uh, from each other today. And we have really had a great time. So thank you. Thank you to our listeners. And a special thank you to our guests, Terry Fletcher and Sanal Patel, for sharing their insights. And I'm not sure if you heard, but March Madness deals are going on at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. So check their website, www.ozarkcodingllc.com. They have a new exciting webinar every Tuesday in March. And of course, check out their on-demand virtual conferences on risk adjustment and orthopedics available now. You will not want to miss their upcoming general surgery conference featuring the one and only Terry Fletcher of Terry Fletcher Consulting and several industry leaders joining forces to educate and inspire. It's only two forty-nine, dollars and for March Madness, we're offering $50 off each ticket when you buy five or more for your team of coders. We hope you enjoyed listening today. It's always our goal to inspire and educate, and as I always say, knowledge is power don't give up coding, keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. We thank you to our sponsors, Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance, LLC. If you're enjoying this show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Monday for a new episode.
2: We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order.